Good morning. Please turn with me your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We'll be uh, reading verses <coughs> 1 through 17. Now, uh, this morning we'll actually only be covering uh, in the sermon uh, verses 1 through 11. And then next week we'll be looking at verses 12 through 17. Uh, and so essentially you're going to get kind of half a sermon uh, this morning. I would encourage you um, to, uh, to hopefully be back next week to, to get the full picture because this morning we're going to talk about kind of as we land this plane of this series of idols of the heart uh, is today we're going to talk about how to kill idols of the heart. But what's very important is is that when we kill the idols, we make sure that no more idols are going to come into our heart. And so we need to look at idol-proofing our heart. And so this morning we'll look at how to kill idols and the next week, we want to look at how can we prevent more idols uh, from coming into our heart. And uh, I think you're going to find both, uh, uh, both sermons helpful, but I hope you'll uh, be able to hear both of them um, to get the full picture of how uh, to destroy and to keep idols out of the heart. So beginning with verse 1, it says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on, the, on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So normally, when we come to church, we don't expect to be taught how to be killers. Okay, that's not typically the subject we come to hear about. 
But when it comes to idols, when it comes to sin that exists in our hearts, we are to be killers. We are to be aiming to destroy those idols that are in, in our heart or, or if you want to call them controlling desires that are causing us to outwardly sin. So we want to look at some ways that we, uh, from this text, that we kill sin, that we kill idols. First, we kill idols of the heart with violent effort against sin. Notice the strong words we find here in dealing with sin or idols or our, our desires, uh, sinful desires that are controlling us. It does not say politely ask your idols to leave. It does not say work out some agreement with your idols and with your sin that, hey, if you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. Let's just call it a truce. No, the language is strong. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. The idols that are in your heart are not going to go quietly. It's, it's going to get ugly. Our idols are going to go kicking and screaming from our heart. There, there is no nice, there is no easy way to deal with them. This violent attitude that we are to have towards sin is, is not just in this verse of Scripture. It's, uh, we see it throughout the Scripture. We see it from Jesus' words Himself in Matthew 5, verse 29 in the Sermon on the Mount, which we just got done studying. He says this, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. That's pretty violent talk. I mean, when you're talking, when Jesus is talking about plucking your eyes out and cutting your hands off rather than to give over to sin, rather than to give over to the idolatry that causes the sin in our life, it would be better for us just to mutilate ourselves. Now, we know there's a lot more explanation that needs to go into that verse. That, that the point being is not, not, to, not to cut off and mutilate the body because even without those things, we could go on sinning in our minds. As long as I have a mind, I don't know about you, as long as I have a mind to think, I will be capable of sin. But it is about having an attitude that I'm not playing around. I'm not playing around with sin. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it out of my life. Paul wrote this in Romans uh, 8.13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's, there's no... There's no half-hearted method of killing sin. There's just not. As John Owen famously said, he said, cease not a day from this work. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Owen's point is, you can't stop. Every day, you must be engaged in killing sin, or every day, 
sin will be engaged in killing you. Some of our idols have been lodging in our hearts as long as we can remember. Idols that we have long since made friends with, that we coddle. Idols that, that, have, that we have long thought we have every right to demand from others, that we have every right to demand from God. But these are not to be pet sins. These are not little character defects of, oh, this is just who I am. In verse 5, we have a list, one of the two lists that's contained here. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And in verse 6, on account of these, of these the wrath of God is coming. That the, that the idols, the sin in our hearts are, are not to be taken lightly. They're not just little pet things that are, that's just who I am. I, you know, I just get angry sometimes. Or, you know, I just look, I glance at women sometimes. It's just who I am. No, it is what God hates. He hates it. And His wrath will be revealed against it. And so, don't make friends with it. Take it seriously in your life. Don't just sit there holding on to your idols. We've been at this idol study for six weeks. What a shame would it be for you to walk away having done no work on your heart. Having not engaged in any type of idol killing in your own heart. To walk away when Scripture has told you you have idols, you have an idolatry issue, and to walk away totally unchanged and, and unmoved by that. No, it is, it is our job to, to examine our hearts. Examine the idols that are in our hearts and, and look at the threats they pose to your life. The threats that they pose to your marriage the threats that they pose to your parenting, your kids, the threats that they are in your life in every area, especially the threat that they pose to that close fellowship that we are to maintain with Christ. And when you examine what a detriment it is to your life, rip it out! And see that with violence you must uproot that idol from your heart. When we look at this text, it's really interesting when, we, when it looks at, at what we're supposed to be doing. Because it, it includes aspects of the past and, and speaks of some things as if it's already been done. And in other aspects, it speaks as if this is what we are to be doing. And that is, that's no mistake. That is, the Christian life is about, is about examining what the past looks like, specifically what Christ has done, and then looking, about, looking at what we are to be doing in the present. And so those are the next two points. The, the first, 
we kill idols by realizing our identity given to us by the past work of Christ. Look at uh, how, what verse 3 says. For you have died to these things. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Speak says, hey, you have died. It's not that you are to be dying. It's you have died. Verse 9, seeing that you have put off the old self. Seeing that you have put off the old self. Something that you have already done. You've put it off. In verse 10, and have put on the new self. You've already done it. You've already put on the new self. So there is this talk, this idea of, of having already put off your sinful flesh and already put on your spirit given to you in Christ. There's even this sense in which in the death of Christ, our old selves were, were crucified with Him. It's been done. We, we see this throughout Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Again, speaking of something that has already happened. The old man, the old self has passed away and the new has already come. Romans 6, 1 says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who've already died? It's something that's already happened. We've died to sin. How can we still live in it? And yet most of us would admit that it does not always feel like the old man has been crucified and dead and buried. But that we would have to admit that he seems very alive in me. That, that the old self that supposedly was put off at my salvation, he seems a lot of times to be making some choices in my life. We would say with Martin Luther, who always had a way with words, the old Adam is drowned in baptism, but that jerk is a good swimmer. And if you think jerk is harsh, I actually changed it from the actual word he used because uh, Luther was sometimes a little too colorful uh, in his language to bring that into the pulpit uh, in our day and time. But the idea remains, he says, hey, I know the old self has been buried in baptism, but he's a good swimmer. He still seems very active in my life. And the, but the reality is, is that when the believer allows idols of the heart to drive us to sin, we are actually acting contrary to to our true identity that has been given to us in Christ. And I think this should humble and embarrass us, but it should also encourage us. 
it should embarrass us for the sin that's in our lives. When we choose idols over God, when we choose to sin, it's just that. It's a choice that we are making. The Christian can never say when it comes to sin that it's just who I am. Because the Christian has been made new. We are without excuse for any unrepentant sin in our life. It's there because we have decided not to repent. Not because we are unable to repent. I think it's, it's really in, interesting how we typically can get so angry at unbelievers' sin. That we can look out and look at people who don't know God, who have not been made new in Christ, who have not the Spirit of God living in them, and we talk about how bad they are. And then we look at our sin as if it's not that bad. It's okay. We look at the sin within the church and go, well, yeah, we're all sinners. I don't want to really confront that person or, or talk about the sin in their life because, you know, we're all sinners and we're all at church. We're all friends. The reality is that it's so backwards because the unbeliever is just simply doing what their nature is directing them to do because they have no other nature. And yet the Christian has... Yes, the old self, but also has the new self in Christ. And that is the sin that we should most hate, is the sin within ourselves and the sin within the church, because it doesn't have to be there. That it's our, by our choice that it's there. Because we're choosing not to do the work that has been done for us in Christ to remove it and to repent of it. It should encourage us though because of the power that belongs to us in Jesus. It should do more than just embarrass us for the sin in our life. It should encourage us that the weapons we need to uproot the idols are already ours in Christ, and they lay 100% available to us. It's what the Scriptures tell us in 2 Peter 1, verse 3. It says this, His divine power has granted. It's already been done. He's already granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. That the divine power to uproot the idols in your heart, it's already been made available to you in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. He doesn't come and say, hey, I died on the cross so you can have salvation, and then you're saved, and then he says, now you've got to figure it out. Now you've got to, by your own willpower, you've got to muster up the strength to pull up those idols and that sin from your life. No. 
he said, I've granted to you not only the salvation and, and the justification, I've granted to you all that you need that pertains to life and godliness. The idol that keeps trying to retake the throne at the center of our lives, it, it is beatable. It may sometimes feel like it's not. It's so hard to get long-established idols out of our heart. But Christ died on the cross to make that idol beatable. He died on the cross to make that idol removable. He died on the cross to make that sin mortal. But we do not just fight idols by looking at what Christ has done in the past. We look to the present as well at the renewing of our mind. So we kill, we kill idols through the present renewal and a growing knowledge of Christ. While there's much in this, in this text that talks about what's already been done, there's also much in this text that is commanded what, commanding what we should be doing. Like verse 1, seek the things that are above. He's commanding you right now, seek the things that are above. Verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above. Verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now that's a very helpful verse because we see in one verse, we see what's ar it's already been done and at the same time, there's an ongoing process that's happening. First, uh, let me read it again. And have put on the new self. It's already done. You've put on the new self. But that new self is being renewed every day. While our identities as justified sinners through Christ has been settled in the past, even though we have been made new, we are also to be being renewed daily. This is, this is sanctification. It's a big word we use just to simply say growing in holiness, growing in our ability to live lives that look more like Christ's life. We're being renewed. How do we pursue this renewal? Well, verse 10 says it comes in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Through the gospel, Jesus Christ has been fully revealed to us. Now our desire should be to know Him more and to make Him known to others. Not to make Him, not to make him love us more but because the steadfast love of the Lord, it's better than life. It's good. It's good to know Christ. And I want others to know Christ in my life, so I want to be more like Christ. I want to love them more like Christ would love them. I want to love my spouse like Christ has loved me. I want to love my kids as Christ 
has loved me. I want to love my co-workers as Christ has loved me. Not, 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 so, not so he'll love me, not so God will love me more. He, he loves you more than he possibly could because of what's already been done, because he's made you new. No, it's, we want everyone to experience it because it's good and it's desirable. Two verses that further unpack what, what's to be going on in, this, in the present are Romans 12.2 and 2 Corinthians 3.18. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we are, we are to be transformed in the renewal, the daily renewal of our mind by relying on God and what He has done on the cross. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The duty of every Christian is this, is to become who you already are. Become who you already are. The righteous clothes of Christ that, that have been put, that are placed on you at the moment of your conversion and they don't fit right. And they don't look good because you just don't in any way live up to any of this. But the duty of as you are sanctified is that you begin to grow in the power of Christ's Spirit within you to be transformed as you behold Jesus as you learn more of who he was as you every day learn more about how he has loved you and you are being transformed and now you will never fully grow into those clothes until glorification because again as Luther says the old Adam's a good swimmer and he's going to be wreaking havoc on us but there should be a transforming and a growth that is happening in our lives. Know who you are, and you are a redeemed worshiper of the living God if you are in Christ, if you trust in Christ as your Savior. Live in that identity. Make choices according to that identity. So to bring it all together, the the person who only sets their eyes on what they are to be now, you know, they only set their eyes on, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do now. These are the choices that I'm supposed to make now. Without really thinking about what Christ has done, runs the risk of Christless morality. Their idols of drink and sex may be gone, but they'll be replaced by the idol of self-righteousness, of look at how holy I'm becoming. And the person who only, only sets their eyes at what Christ has done 
and says, well, Christ did it all, so I don't have to do anything. I don't really have to worry about the choices I make. Is, is someone who I don't think is converted, first of all, but someone who as soon as they kick any flesh out, it's going to come right back because they don't, they don't see their need for, to grow and to be more of who Christ has called us to be, which is, which is the, the duty of every Christian is to be more like Christ, to be conformed more to his image the longer that we live our lives. And so we need both. We've, if, we, if we're without either one of the idea of always looking back to the cross and acknowledging who we are because of the cross, but also looking at who we are now and how we should be behaving and, and the choices that we sh- should be making and the worship that we should have for God alone. We've got to have both those things. To be killer, a killer of idols, we must first and foremost look to the past work of Christ, but then we must bring that work to bear on the present. And lastly, we see in verse 11 that we kill idols by dependence on the Spirit of Christ in us. In verse 11, it says this, it says, Here, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So what in the world is that sentence about? That sentence is about the confidence of the life-changing work of Christ, no matter who you are. It says Greek and Jew, so we would, uh, kind of the cultured, right, the, the scholarly would be the Greeks, and the Jews would be more of the holy and, and the religious people of the day. The circumcised and uncircumcised, which is kind of the same thing, that, that those who had bought into Dr- Jewish tradition and those who had not. And then barbarian, the uncultured, okay? The barbarian, the... Uh, the Scythian uh, was a group that lived in the northern coast of the Black Sea, and, and the Greeks really turned their nose up at the, at the Scythians because they were uneducated. They were uncultured. They were rednecks. They were probably the way like people in California view us in South Arkansas, just uncultured and uneducated, kind of barbarians. It says, and and slave and free, obviously, self-explanatory, those who are still under the slavery of being owned by someone else and those who are absolutely free to live their lives however they see fit. What we have here is various classifications of people in the society. Some would be lifted up as the haves. Others would be downplayed as the have-nots. Some lifted up as scholarly and others put down because they are uneducated some lifted up as moral and others put down as immoral some lifted up as religious others put down as you're just a heathen and the idea here is that it does not matter where christ finds you 
The Spirit of God will change you, will grow you. And I say that to to even those of you, and this text started out of, of those who are in Christ, those who have been saved. But I want to talk for a moment to those of you who would say, I'm not saved, I don't know Christ. And, and you would say, it does, you don't know what I've done, you don't know who I am. I know that in every, this is a classification of everyone in the society of the day, and Paul says, they're all here growing in Christ, having been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and they're worshiping Christ, they're being changed by Christ, no matter who they were when they were found. We're all in this together under Christ. And so I encourage you, unbeliever, it says he could never love me, he could never change me, I've made things too much of a mess in my life. I give you every known entity of society and and the word here that they are in Christ and they are engaged in this changing work of God to to throw out sin, to throw out idols. So come to Christ. Believe in Christ and what He has done for you on the cross. So, in conclusion, let me put it in just everyday terms of what it looks like to be someone is putting to death their idols and their sin and growing in Christ. First of all, you're a person of the cross. That, that when you do well, when you are standing on a pile of your slain idols at the top of your Christian game, that you still realize that it's only through the cross of Christ and what He has done. And the day when you feel like you're at the bottom of a dog pile of your idols, that you realize you have hope, that you realize that you can begin to slay those idols that seem to be smothering you, but the only hope that you have is the cross and what Christ has done for you, that it all, all comes through the, cry, through the cross and what Christ did there to make available for you the hope that you could have. That on your best day, it's the cross, and on your worst day, it's the hope of the cross that sustains you and keeps you fighting against the idols. but not just a person who simply looks back at the cross, but a person that right now is engaged in pursuing Christ's likeness. That you're a disciple of Christ. You know what a disciple is? It's a learner. So you're someone that is engaged in learning more about Christ every day. You're opening up the Gospels And you're seeing, what can I learn about Christ and my Creator here? And then turning to the other sections of Scripture, what can I learn about Christ? I've got to behold Him. And as you behold them, 
Your desire is to be more like Him. And so you're engaged in asking yourself, how can I love like this? Instead of putting idols into my marriage, how can I love my spouse like Christ loves me? selflessly and unconditionally of looking at at how you treat others and, and asking yourself how can I love others the way that Christ has loved me how does what was done on the cross impacting every day when I get up and go to work and every day when I come home to my spouse and my kids or or And that, that is, that is when you will be a person that is destroying idols. In closing, I want you to stand. And I want to say this, to, to remember who you are in Christ and become who you are in Christ. I'm hoping that sentence makes sense. Remember who you are in Christ and become who you are in Christ. Only then, only then, will your idols be vanquished from your hearts. I ask that you would move however God has laid on your heart to move this morning. Let's pray. Dearly Father, God, I pray that you would help us to begin to get violent. God, we've made peace with sin and idols in our hearts for way too long. We've let the old self master us, God, and I pray that you would help us to begin to get violent. And God, help us to realize what you have done, that all comes through what you have done on the cross for our sins, the righteousness that you have placed upon us. So God, help us in this present time to bring to bear on our idols and our sin. God, help us be people that are people of the cross and then people who are disciples who have who are learning you and bringing you to bear in every single area of our life. God, help us to be killers of idols. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. of our lives and that we will spread your word uh, pray dear lord for this coming week that um, we will seek people to tell uh, of the love of christ to dear lord we pray these things in jesus name amen